Hello there and welcome to this episode of Venus and Vesta Evolutionary Astrology Podcast. Last episode, we were focused on Eris, the dwarf planet Eris, who I found quite intriguing. And she is now conjunct at the North Node for three months, or rather the North Node has really retrograded back onto Eris because she is far more slow moving. So the North Node here is our destiny point and she's opening the doorway to what comes next. And really, she doesn't hide in her questions. So it was amazing that they then found out, and you probably know already, that the next COVID variant is called Eris. I mean, I find that astounding. Eris is the most dominant single strain of COVID right now. And I can't believe that we've been talking about this and she is here at the doorway to the future. This is completely miraculous and incredible. And it just shows you that the, the how the astrology does match up and shows how important these dwarf planets or asteroids really are because they feature so obviously in some places. So um, I, I'm hoping that Eris really does kind of bring about some kind of reckoning uh, within this area since they've now called her Eris. So um, there, that was this, sorry, Eris and the North Node is a three month long standing aspect. And another long standing aspect, but only for this month, is Juno, the marriage broker. She is conjunct with Venus and they're together in a little duo until Venus actually leaves her shadow on the 7th of October and a little bit beyond, but that's when they start to part. So who is Juno? She is the queen of the Romans. She was like the queen of all the goddesses. And really, she equates to Hera in Greek mythology. And I think we we kind of hear about almost like they're two different people, but really they are one and the same. Juno or Hero, they both represent love and marriage and also long-term relationships and often also childbirth. Um, and I always call when I see Juno, she's the little star, crisscross star with a cross underneath. I always call her the marriage broker. Um, however, these are the wives. She is the wife, long suffering wife, the diligence, the um, the constancy that was seen as the, the most exalted trait to have in a wife. So Juno back then, Juno is sister to Jupiter, Neptune, Pluto, Vesta and Ceres. So she comes with a good, you know, comes from a good family. She is wife, though, to her brother Jupiter, a.k.a. Zeus and Zeus rather. Zeus is king of the gods. So she's queen of the goddesses and he is king of the gods. You know, we really bow down to Zeus and what he represents in his largesse. Uh, Juno is mother to Mars, Vulcan, Bellona and Juventus. And she has a sacred association with the peacock. So you'll often see her in art with a peacock and looking very beautiful as well. So 
Despite the beauty, Juno suffered many incidences of adultery. As you can imagine what Zeus, aka Jupiter, was like as a husband. He he wasn't faithful at all and felt like he could do as he liked as king of the gods. And I sp- suppose he did. I really feel that we all know someone um, who, 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 who acted in that way. But anyway, so there are incidences of Hera or Juno being quite jealous and actually taking action. It's a good honour, really. So, um, but as Hera, we didn't, we speak about Hera when we were talking about Eris, because Hera is one of the goddesses that tempted Paris to choose her when the apple of discord was thrown down. It was Athena, Hera and Aphrodite. And of course, Paris chose Aphrodite because she showed him this image of the most beautiful woman in the world. And he was thinking about his trousers and not not the power and riches that Hera was about to give him. She offered him this, but he turned her down because he preferred the babe. And so Hera is often mentioned here or she's in those beautiful paintings of the judgment of Paris when the apple is thrown down and they all go off somewhere to have a really big conflab and a decision about it. But Paris does not choose Hera's offer of extreme riches and wealth and power, kingship, etc. We also hear of Hera when she curses the nymph Echo. And rightly so, really. <laughs> so Echo was a, a, a nymphette and she was in love with the very handsome dude that is Narcissus. And Echo falls in love with him. But previously to that, Zeus, Hera's husband, Juno's husband, Jupiter, has been cavorting with all the nymphs and having a good old time down by the riverbank. And Hera or Juno is suspicious of this. And so she goes, right, I'm going to hide down here and I'm going to kind of check out what happens. And so she arrives and Echo, the nymph, then um, is told by Zeus to go and distract her with lots of chatting. And and we, we see this happen in real life. Someone's been told to sort of chat and distract you. And we are being distracted, obviously, by so many methods of entertainment but we've seen people go oh I'm just going to keep them chatting for a moment and that was what Echo was doing to Hera so that she couldn't see what her husband was doing or so that he could disguise himself while he was cavorting with all the nymphs so obviously Hera wasn't very pleased with Echo the nymph for doing this she understood what was going on she saw right through the ruse and so she curses this nymph Echo. And and the curse she gave her was to repeat the last words anyone says to her. So if you speak to her, she says, speak to her kind of thing. And we've seen that playing in some sort of Christmas game, um, which is really annoying. And it is really annoying. So as Echo was in love with Narcissus, she was unable to tell him because everything he said, she just repeated and he must have been, oh, God, I'm out of here kind of thing, because that was annoying. And But then Echo had to watch Narcissus as he then fell in love with his own image. And she's unable to express her own feelings and what just watches him as this, uh, his fate unravels, which must have been horrific for her. 
But on the other hand, Hera is kind of holding her own ground, holding her own space. She holds it together beautifully. She is nobody's fool. But so this is the version in antiquity of the uh, the the perfect wife, really. And um, perhaps this version of the wife needs updating. There are so many good wives in inverted commas, in Greek myths, and they've had to put up with so much. So no wonder when in the original um, wife of Adam, Lilith, no wonder she, when they say, oh, you have to be submissive, submissive, you have to be submissive. No wonder Lilith went, nah, I'm out of here. Because she could presumably see what the, the men had in store. And she went, no. And it did make me laugh when there was that song that came out a couple of years ago. It was a big furore about the song by Robin Thicke, was it? It's Robin, um, good, a good girl. And I just thought, what, what's what's so um, shocking about everyone getting up in arms about that, suggesting this whole good girl image was so shocking because that's how it's been since antiquity. Um, and I'm just thinking of another really good wife and that's Penelope she's wife to um uh, Odysseus and of course Odysseus goes off to the Trojan War which lasted 10 years in the days with no texts no phones no letters because it was war you can't I don't think they had the messenger capability to to go and send a messenger off with other things at hand so 10 years at the Trojan War and then 10 years on his own odyssey so 20 years that she had to wait, wait for him. And she held it together beautifully. Nobody's fool again. So here are these mythical wives that really kind of are held up as the standard of good wifery. <laughs> so now that Juno is now for a, a few weeks in conjunction with Venus in Leo, they're playing together. You know, Venus is Aphrodite, of course, and you know another one who was there at the Judgment of Paris. But um, so we can imagine that this is going to be quite good for relationships to be with Venus in her shadow, in her sort of deeper moment, really where she is considering and is moving forward. So this combination of Junus and Venus is good. Juno and Venus is good for relationships right now. And it's good for not just kind of, well, understanding that there's so many petty things, nymphs, for instance, that could get us distracted. And we know we have to hold it together. We have to rise above those petty squabbles because they are not really that important. And so there's that idea that it is really good helping you rise above it, helping you move forward. But also with this combination it's also great for healing all kinds of past relationships. Um, one, because of the Venus retrograde, but two, because of the way Juno has um, really brought her relationship forward by not, um, you know, she has held it together. She is the archetype of, of holding a good relationship together. So with Leo, it's, you know, what might you bring to this party? What, are, what, are your, what is your part in it? Um, and also, therefore, you don't want to bring the past relationship and the past mishaps into this relationship. So it's a good time to do that kind of work and understand where you're acting from within the relationship or potential relationship. And of course, this week now, right uh, at this moment, we are still in the energy of the powerful 
new moon in Virgo, which is on Friday the 15th, if um, if you're in the UK. It's in the morning, it's at 2.40am on Friday the 15th, British summertime. Which means, therefore, that it's on Thursday the 14th in America. So I was just thinking how, how you know, with this Virgo new moon, she's a good girl too. She's she's a good wife. She's a good, or if she's not a wife, she's a good girl. Uh, so this is a good time to set your dedications, dedications to your own personal efforts. Um, see that your personal efforts are heading in the right direction. So it's almost like resetting your resolve for the tiny habits that make up your day. And also maybe adding meaning to those tiny habits so that they either become ritualistic and therefore perhaps a little bit more sacred and there's some energy within them. And that's the Virgo power of going, you know what, it's not just a cup of tea and it's not just writing my notes. It's my little ritual that I can add power to that then becomes so much more meaningful. And then because Mercury goes direct in Virgo on the same day, however, this I say the same day in the UK because this will be around nine o'clock, gone nine o'clock in the UK. So it will still be the 15th in America and the UK, but it will be the 16th in Australia and New Zealand. So because Mercury, the thinking planet Mercury, is going direct along with this Virgo new moon, this is also a time to realign your thoughts and your thinking. And what is that saying? It's your thoughts become your words. Your words become your behavior. Your behavior becomes your habits and your habits become your values and your values become your destiny. And apparently that was Mahatma Gandhi said that. Um, I thought it was, I th you know, who uses it in there's that film with Gillian Anderson where she plays um, Margaret Thatcher and she says it. Um, so I don't know if she was quoting, she obviously was quoting Gandhi there, but, um, yeah, I do think this is a perfect time to understand that because Mercury direct in Virgo, the purity of your thoughts, the idea of, uh, your discernment and, you know, what you allow into your mind, um, along with the Virgo new moon, it's, it's powerful stuff and really good to, Reconnect to what is good and true and fruitful. It's got to be sort of productive in there. And, and it's anything that's really good for your self-improvement and your health. But we must remember, though, that whilst we have the new moon in Virgo and the Mercury direct, we also have Venus in her shadow with Juno, which means relationships and romance. And in Leo, it's your self-belief um, and all of this how you are going to show up. And this becomes super important because on the Sunday, the 17th, Monday, the 18th, Venus will be at 15 degrees Leo and Juno is just within the degree at 16 degrees. And for two days, they are going to be square to Jupiter retrograde in Taurus. And so then we can remember that Juno's husband is Jupiter, a.k.a. Zeus, this is her brother and her husband, but we won't, we won't bother too much about the brother thing because the gods and goddesses did do that kind of thing. Um, so this square 
So this square between the two, one in Leo, one in Taurus. So this square ought to enliven and ignite and add energy to any relationship debate. And it kind of like going to eke it out. If there is an issue, is there is something you want to say that maybe you are bringing something from the past. If it's an internal idea that you are ruminating on or an external actual conversation, this is the time to kind of bring it out, whether you have to bring it into the relationship or just out within your whole your own processes to to kind of eke out and study and move along. The energy has to shake it up. It's a square. It has to move it. It can't stay still. So don't be surprised if um, something comes along that really makes you consider and maybe even discuss, you know, along with this Virgo energy, you know, you've, you've got to talk about it. It's better, better out than in. Uh, and, you know, it's one of those squares where, um, you know, that you're either going to have to work with the energy and not against it because then the energy uses you, as it were, and then then you are in a trouble. So while we're thinking of that, you know, the idea of the purest Virgo sun and Mercury in Virgo as well, really being active at the same time. And with Venus and Juno in Leo, it's, you know, this idea that we've got the discernment and the higher thoughts and really doing something with a purpose and with a true heart. Yet with the Leo idea, it's like, well, these are my boundaries and I'm going to stay gracious. I'm going to stay gracious because really, you know, don't need to remind myself that I have the sovereignty. I wear the crown. You wear the crown in these situations and kind of owning it, rising above those petty squabbles and going, yeah, this is who I am and claim it. This is what I want. This is who I am. This is how I like to behave and will behave if in the given situation. And I would like someone else to behave, for instance. So um, see where that gets you. <laughs> So there is another long-standing aspect going on right through here, which we've spoken about. And remembering it is the kite, the kite formation. And of course, the new moon in Virgo was at the bottom of this kite. So the bottom of the kite, the new moon in Virgo was at 21 degrees Virgo. And the head of the kite is Neptune at 26 degrees Pisces. And it's and obviously with them, we've also added with the Virgo, the Mercury going direct. But it's not in aspect to the new moon or to um, Neptune in Pisces. Neptune and Pisces is the dreamer. It's where we are so deep in something we can hardly see or feel or know. It's where we are lost and lost potentially in the program. It's that fuzzy area where things are not sure. And I was thinking about this and saw this um, AI experiment. And in the experiment, the scientists put some people in a room and showed them a picture of the of a giraffe and whilst they were contemplating this picture of a giraffe, which obviously looks very, you know, very unique, that they had the computer using the Wi-Fi, not not buds on the head or, you know, sensors on the head or anything. Using the Wi-Fi, they asked the computer, they obviously had a, the right computer program to uh, relay back using the brainwaves in the head what those people were looking at. So obviously brainwaves looking into the visual cortex, it goes into the brain and they and the computer came back with a picture of a giraffe. I mean, 
oh my God, you know, this is where we're going with AI. This is, you know, computers being able to read your mind uh, without using uh, a sensor plug stuck on your head. It's just using the Wi-Fi. So for me, this was a massive reminder to turn the Wi-Fi off at night. You really don't want that stuff fizzing through your brain. So that was, for me, a real big indication of the Neptune in Pisces, where we're so deep in the program, we don't know where the program ends and we start. And in that sense, we're looking at all the deep, fake imagery videos that are coming out that are completely shocking where they can make you say something which you never said. And it's so hard to tell the difference. I was seeing some images of Joe Rogan talking with Andrew Tate and it was completely made up. And it really looks like Joe Rogan talking about his meeting with him. And it really discredits both of them. And it's so believable. And you think, wow, they can do that to anyone. So in that sense, where Neptune is in Pisces, it's like our identities can be so easily eroded the way Neptune dissolves things. But here on the other side of this, on this kite formation, Virgo wants you to use your discernment discernment, and to keep your counsel and keep you dedicated to your own purpose in such a sort, sort of small detailed way that it kind of stops you looking at the bigger picture because the bigger picture is so utterly vast. And I felt like that this kite um, the bottom of the kite, the driver, was here, was a Virgo, the Virgo tail of this kite, keeping us, keeping the due diligence, keeping it productive. And when you think about how you might want to keep it productive, it was like, yeah, because the Neptune in Pisces at the top of the kite is the endless scrolling that so many of us do, the doom scrolling. This is utterly Pisces in Neptune. And, and it's so much a habit that so many people are aware of. And there's the opposition of the two. That are you the producer of the content, Virgo, um, planets in Virgo? Or are you lost within just watching it all and losing hours of your day? Um, so but within the kite, you know, the, on one side, the shoulder of the kite the, on the right is Pluto in Capricorn, which is the big business, the big business who want your time, they want your attention, they want your data, and they want your money. And now you're, they can get your ID as well. This is the big business that's driving this on one side, the Pluto in Capricorn. More on that later. However, then, and I mean in, in another episode, and then on the left hand side, looking at the kite, we then have Uranus in Taurus. Uranus electrifying, that's the Wi-Fi energy. That's, that's the energy obliterating our being, our physical being in Taurus. So that's how it can actually scan right through our being and therefore end up with no identity or no ability to claim our own identity. But we're also coming into a phase in this current phase of humanity where we are splitting from our physical and our etheric and our astral are slowly moving apart. And I've mentioned this before, where we are coming forward back to spirit, where the densest part, when we were completely um, entrenched in material world in this current earth era, was at Golgotha with Jesus Christ on the cross. 
And so we're moving away from that. We're, we're moving um, beyond so that our physicality is loosening away from its etheric energy and our astral. And we're now currently on the way up back to spirit. We're level where the Egyptians were, where they were coming in. And the Egyptians coming in, of course, mummified their bodies to tie their spirit, their soul, their, their car to, to earth with all the riches around them, all the objects to keep the soul interested in what is going on on the material plane on planet earth. So you can see now we're going beyond that. We've gone through so much materialism. We're now going back to spirit. And of course, we want to do that in the most magical and appropriate and divine way. As we open up, and of course, nature abhors a vacuum. As we open up, there are spaces within there. And that's where you get, um, you can be open to other people's personality kind of thrust upon you or their darkness. And also with entity invasion and those ideas when you're opening up. So this Virgo care that is being sort of promoted around the Virgo new moon is, is that discernment, is that, you know, keeping our daily habits really good and clean for better health, better discernment, um, so that we keep keeping our lanes and are not affected too much by the more negative or more shadowy aspects that are around there um, in profusion. The Virgo new moon and the Virgo all this week can drive that uh, the more appropriate aspects when we are heading towards this Neptune in Pisces, real undefinable dissolving of all our efforts energy. So the new moon is at 21 degrees uh, Virgo on the 15th, but then gets to the 19th of September the sun gets, sorry, not the moon does, the sun gets to the 19th of September and therefore is in exact opposition at 26 degrees to Neptune. So that's when the exact opposition of this, this occurs. So we may see more of these kind of one hand, the dissolving of boundaries, but the other hand of we have to take care here, ideas, um, this happens around 12 noon. They have an exact in the UK. It's at 12 noon on the 19th where they become exact. Um, and then on the 20th, the sun takes a step forward and makes a trine to Pluto in Capricorn. This is an exact trine to Pluto at 27 degrees. Um, and now Pluto is right back on the USA Pluto return spot at 27 degrees. Now, the return spot, the Pl America's natal Pluto is at 27 degrees 33. And Pluto doesn't actually get as far as this. And I'm going to talk about this in another episode because I find it absolutely interesting how Pluto is crisscrossed over the Pluto return and comes back. It's actually coming back now to where Pluto was when they signed the agreement of the um, act of declaration. So they agreed it on the 4th of July. And that was the, the um, obviously the birthday, the celebration, 4th of July. But they actually signed it on the 2nd of August. And so Pluto is going back to that point because um, Pluto had moved on. So I'm going to talk about that in another issue Um Pluto, because that will happen in early October when Pluto goes direct again. 
However, coming back to present time on Saturday, the 23rd of September, Venus and Juno, Venus in the shadow and Juno are going to make a square to Uranus in Taurus. And Uranus is a few degrees, 22 degrees on, whereas Jupiter's at 15 degrees Taurus. So she's moved on. And so whatever we were talking about before, you know, the discernment, you know, actually bringing out how we're feeling within relationships and what we're bringing to the relationship. Here with Uranus, it's like, wow, there's plenty of action. Sparks can fly here. So this is quite a, a combustible energy with Uranus going, yep, yeah, yep. Yeah. And even if you think or were thinking when I was saying, yeah, yeah, you're going to have to talk about it. And you're going, nah, I'm just going to sail through this. It's like Uranus comes here and it's like the bomb. So ready to explode any of those relationship ideas, whether it's in a romantic relationship, which is mostly will be, um, but potentially in, in other kinds of long term relationship as well. But really, this is Uranus is here to bring us forward, to evolve. Uranus is the planet of enlightenment and wants us to move forward. It's not here just to create chaos so that we're all fumbling around and crying after it's brought its message. No, here we're like, oh, right, I need to sit up and take notice and evolve and move forward and get rid of what was happening before, because this is fresh, uh, fresh energy. And this is where we're heading now within relationships. So this could be also for mankind as well as for on a personal level. And as I've mentioned, the square means you do have to take action. It's like it's either the irritation that creates the oyster or the feistiness that just can't help itself. But it's definitely a time for action, for speaking out, for, you know, really coming to terms with these things. It's, it's not a quiet energy. And of course, you know, Juno, Juno in Leo here is really, you know, teaching us to really have our own counsel and not get taken down with the squabbles. We've got to go higher in our ideas and be the queen in Leo around these. Keep our sovereignty, keep wearing our crown. And at the same time, this is also happening uh, when equinox, on the equinox, the autumn equinox in the northern hemisphere, the, the spring equinox down in Antipodean lands, in the southern hemisphere. So this equinox, obviously, this is when we have equal day and equal night. And for tropical astrology that we are now talking about, it's when we have the sun moving into Libra. Um, and at the other six month divide, when the sun moves into Aries. So tropical astrology keeps time with the Earth's calendar. So we're here on Earth with Earth's calendar, uh, bring it into heralding into a spring or an autumn. And this will be different from the Vedic calendar because they will not have um, when they go into Libra, which will be in about three weeks time. Um, it won't be the equinox, for instance. So this is this is the difference between the Vedic and the tropical astrology that we are keeping in time with Earth's calendar in 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 some sense. Um and I'm going to talk about that. I have spoken about that before, but I'll talk about that in another episode too. But the equinox is all about harmony and balance. And it's really a time to 
to maintain that balance within our lives. It's a really good time to meditate and you know meditate your way through the equinox. And I'll talk more about this in the next episode too. But for now, um, yeah, keep, keep with the Virgo discernment and the Virgo sacred habits becoming ritualistic and therefore imbuing you with some blessings, some Virgo blessings. So thank you. Thank you for listening. <laughs>